My name is Mark Mullery. If this is your first time joining us online or first time present here with us, thanks for being our guest this morning. We're delighted that you're here. I remember what it's like. I know what it's like to walk into a meeting like this for the first time. And we want you to know that we're glad that you're here. And I hope I get a chance to meet you sometime soon. Um, as uh, Abby was doing shout outs for 515, I want to do my own shout out. Um, Destin Patty is doing projection. Yesterday he was at a wedding and then he worked the night shift last night and now he's here serving, doing projections. So Destin, thank you for the way you serve. We have so many volunteers that just serve in just heroic and wonderful ways to make things go here and we're very grateful for that. We're in a series in the Gospel of Mark called Follow Me and we're in a section in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is teaching us... Uh, and, and Mark, is, uh, the gospel writer, is transferring to us just essential information for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to become a disciple of Jesus, and to be a disciple that can help others become disciples of Jesus. And so this morning we're in chapter 10, verses 13 to 31, and Corey Curtis is going to read the passage for us. So please prepare to hear God's word. Sorry, wait. And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. 
for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands worth persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Thank you. Let's pray. Oh God, you led Israel into the wilderness, into a place without food, so that you could give them manna, and so that you could teach them that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. We humble ourselves before you now and acknowledge we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Feed us, we pray this morning, from this passage of scripture, for the glory of your name and for the advance of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Si le hablo en un lenguaje que no conoce, no nos vamos a entender, ¿verdad? Gracias. <laughs> if I speak in a language you don't know, if I, sorry, butcher the Spanish that I was just trying to speak in, we can't understand each other, right? Which is actually an opportunity to just pause and say to all who are here and English isn't your first language, we respect you greatly and appreciate the effort that's required on your, half, your behalf to participate in these services. But the reality is for communication to take place, we have to have understanding with one another. Now, what does any of that have to do with the sermon that's in front of us here right now? Well, Communication requires not only speaking the same language, but sometimes we can speak the same language and still not understand each other, right? When my cooking friends talk about wasabi soy emulsion, when my military friends say, I just got my PCS, when my PhD student friends talk about taking their Viva, I have no idea what these people are talking about. And the reality is, we need to sometimes work at understanding the terms and the language that we're hearing from others in order to get their meaning. And so that's the case this morning. Jesus, five times in this passage, uses the phrase kingdom of God. So let's ask, do we know what he's talking about? The two stories that we have in front of us this morning are linked together. They are put together by design. Why? Why are these two stories back to back in your Bible? Well, they're put there because they help us understand how to enter the kingdom of God. Or to say it in another way, as it happens in this passage, how to have eternal life. So the the main thing that's happening here, the main point of this is that God, 
greatly desires every person to know how to enter his kingdom. This kingdom that Jesus mentions over and over, not only in this passage, but throughout this gospel. But what is this kingdom? Well, the storyline of the Bible explains it to us. The story of the Bible is that humanity's biggest problem isn't a lack of education or not being free enough to do whatever makes us happy. No, God tells us that our biggest problem is that we've rejected his kingly authority over our lives and we've set ourselves up as substitute sovereigns. We've taken his place on the throne of our lives. Now, rebelling against God never ends well. And eventually God will end this mutiny with a final judgment and banishment to hell for all who are living in rebellion against him. But before that happens, God sends his chosen king, Jesus, into the world to call people to reject living life on their own terms and come and live under his rulership. So, back in the beginning of this gospel, Mark chapter 1 and verse 15 is the key verse that influences all that's said in this gospel. Look back there and hear Jesus say, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So here Jesus comes on the scene announcing this kingdom. What is he announcing? He's announcing his saving rule and reign. He's announcing that the king has come and he's calling people to come and live under his authority. He comes with that authority. That's his rule. And when we come under his authority, we become part of his dominion, part of his reign, part of his kingdom. So if God were to ask you this morning, why should I let you into my kingdom? How do you come into my kingdom? What would you say? How does one enter this rule and reign of Jesus? What does it look like to repent and believe? What's Jesus talking about there? Parents, if one of your kids asks you, how can I have eternal life? If you're talking to a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, and they want to know, what does it actually mean to be a Christian? How can I have this eternal life? What's the answer? How could you explain it? God greatly desires every person to know how to enter his kingdom. And this passage explains to us how it works. And this passage will be a call to some to come enter that kingdom. And this passage will be an equipping tool for others to help you explain that kingdom to other people in your life. So we're going to talk first about the way to enter God's kingdom. Then we're going to look at the barrier to entering that kingdom. And finally, the rewards to entering that kingdom. And then we're going to try to sort of tie all this together with three concluding questions. So let's start where the passage starts with these children coming to Jesus. And let's talk about the way to enter God's kingdom, verses 13 to 16. Now, you've probably seen the situation where a famous or an important person is out in public and they've got this security detail with them. 
You know what I'm talking about? The burly guys with the earpieces and their job is to keep unwanted people away from the VIP, right? So in this opening scene, it seems that the disciples have decided that it's their job to be Jesus's self-appointed security detail. And so they're keeping these pesky children and their parents away from Jesus. People are bringing their children to Jesus that he might touch them. He's sort of laying their hand, his hand on them as a, as a form of blessing. And the disciples are shooing them away. Stay away. Jesus is an important VIP rabbi. He doesn't need all you kids around him. When Jesus notices this, did you catch what happened? It says in verse 13, the disciples rebuked these people that were trying to bring their kids to him. And then in verse, verse 14, it says, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Did you catch that? He was irate. He was angry with his own disciples for keeping these kids away from him. I love how in this gospel, Mark, the gospel writer, continually shows us Jesus in his humanity. And in his humanity, Jesus displays the full range of emotions because that's what it means to be fully human. And so Jesus sees this as a teachable moment and he impresses two things on his disciples. First, he loves kids. He loves having those kids around him and he loves blessing those kids. But second, he points to these children, these little children. So these are probably not, we're not talking about teenagers here. We're talking about little children that are probably being carried by their parents up to Jesus so that he can lay his hands on them and bless them. He points to these little children to give us a picture of the attitude needed to enter God's kingdom. Look back at verse 14. He says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So he's not saying all children are in the kingdom of God, but he's saying to people who are like these children, what does he mean? He goes on in verse 15. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What does Jesus mean when he says, receive the kingdom of God like a child. What's he talking about here? And it's easy to sort of misunderstand because there are many aspects of being a child that Jesus is not commending to us to, for entry into the kingdom. He's not commending throwing tantrums in the grocery store, right? He's not commanding selfishly grabbing all the toys in the sandbox. No, he's not commending being childish. He's commending being childlike. I think what he's doing is he's pointing to the simple trust that children typically display and to the complete dependence that children have on those who are assigned to care for them. I think I got a picture of this in the barbershop this week. I'm in there getting my hair cut and this mom comes in with this little guy, maybe two. And she says, he's, he's never had a haircut before. This is his first haircut. He has no idea what's happening. And so the barber, he's got this, this special thing he puts in his chair to kind of make the child a little higher. And so he takes the little guy and he puts him on this, this little plank. And as, the, and as the little guy's sitting there, he starts crying. And the barber's looking at the mom and the mom's looking at the boy. And I'm looking at all of them. 
And the lady who's cutting my hair oh, starts sort of commiserating with this, this little guy. And, and mom says, okay, let's do this. I'm going to sit in the chair and we'll put, we'll put my son in my lap and then you can cut his hair while he's sitting in my lap. So she sits down in the chair. He puts that little black thing over her so she doesn't get the hair on her. And then he sits down and he does the haircut and it goes beautifully. That little boy didn't understand what was going on. He never had a haircut before, but he didn't need to understand what was going on. What he needed was to know that he was in mom's lap. And if he was in mom's lap, everything was going to be okay. See, childlike faith means you don't have to understand everything that's happening. Childlike faith means you don't have to do everything for yourself. Childlike faith means receiving. Did you catch that? Receive the kingdom of God. It means receiving what you need from someone who loves you. Now, for those who've had traumatic experiences with parents, this can be hard to hear. This can bring up all kinds of difficult memories. But Jesus is, is working with parenting at its best. And he's saying, look, childlike faith means receiving what you need from someone who loves you. It means receiving good gifts from someone who loves you. And these kids were receiving the good gift of being blessed by Jesus. And Jesus is saying, that's how you come into the kingdom. And you know, that's how we stay in the kingdom as well, with that childlike faith. As I was reading this passage this week, I was thinking of a, a crisis moment of faith in my own life many years ago when our oldest son, Peter, was just one and a half. He developed a very deadly, dangerous form of leukemia. So we were rushed to the hospital and he begins this treatment and the prognosis was not good. Now, prior to this, Leslie had been pregnant previously with our little girl, Sarah, and she had died just before birth. So our first little girl was buried in Fortuna, California. Now Peter's in Kaiser Sunset Hospital with leukemia. And I remember that first Sunday in church, standing there, and the church began to sing. And I remember thinking, can I sing to this God? I didn't know why my daughter died. I didn't know why Peter had leukemia. And it was a real moment, a crisis moment of faith for me. And I had this thought, I think the Lord helped me. And the thought was simply this, I can worship God based on what I know or based on what I don't know. And I'm going to have to decide right now because there's a lot I don't know. And if I make my worship contingent on that, I'm not going to worship. And so by God's grace, I was able to express haltingly with tears in my eyes, a childlike faith to say, God, I can trust you in this moment to give me the good gift of new mercy this morning. And if you'll give that to me, I'm going to worship and praise you. And I'll trust you for that tomorrow too and the next day after that. How does one enter the kingdom of God? With childlike faith. 
receiving a good gift from someone who loves you. There's the positive example. Now, here's the negative example, the barrier to entering God's kingdom. Look back at verse 17. And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want you to think about the scene here. This guy has got everything going for him. He's surely been voted the most likely to succeed in his high school class. He runs up to Jesus and kneels down before him. He takes this position of subservience to Jesus. He's taking initiative and he's humble. He's spiritually minded. What must I do to have eternal life? And when Jesus says, hey, well, keep the, keep the you know, the commandments, and he rolls through them, and then, then this guy says, teacher, I've, I've kept these from my youth. If this guy walks into our church, we're like, sign this guy up. Put him on the worship team. Start some leadership training. This is the guy we're looking for. And Jesus in his discernment, says, you know, verse 21, looking at him, he loved him and said, you lack just one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. I want you to notice two things about Jesus right there. First, it says he looked at him and he loved him. And I love that about Jesus. Jesus is about to expose this idol in this man's life. He knows he's greedy. And yet, he loves him. I wonder, can we say that about people whose sins are obvious to us? I wonder, can we say that about people whose weaknesses and faults are made clear to us? Like Jesus, can we continue to love? And then I... The second thing that we see that Jesus does here is he does what only he can do. He clears the fog away and he reveals this man's heart where the barrier to entry to the kingdom of God is. This guy thinks he can work his way to eternal life. Did you notice his question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus meets him on his terms and he says, hey, you know the commands. And he rattles off a bunch of the Ten Commandments. Commandments five through nine are all in that list. And the man says, great, I've been doing this since my youth. But did you notice Jesus leaves some commandments out of the list? And I think that's intentional. In particular, Commandment 1 and 10 don't appear on his list because he's about to zero in right there. What's the first commandment? You shall have no gods before me. And what's the 10th commandment? You shall not covet. Those are commandments that get to the heart, get to our desires, get to the ruling desires that we have in the control center of our lives. And so he's saying... He, 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 God first and no coveting, numbers 1 and 10. And Jesus is about to zero in on that idol of greed. And he knows how to get there right away. He says, here's what you need to do. 
Go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. You're about to see, as far as I can tell, the only place in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus specifically calls someone to come follow him and the person says, no. No. In fact, he goes away gloomy. Why? Because he'd rather have his treasure than have Jesus. And Jesus then begins to explain to his disciples what just happened. He, he looks around and he tells his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And they're amazed. So he says it again. Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You ever seen a sewing needle? You know how hard it is to get that little piece of thread to go through there? Can you imagine trying to get a camel to go through there? He says that's how, that's how possible it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So he's zeroing in on this man's wealth as the barrier to his entry into the kingdom of God. And we might just pause there and acknowledge wealth is a huge temptation and challenge. Greed can be so hard to spot. It can run sort of underneath the surface and invisibly in our lives. I, Tim Keller, a wonderful pastor who recently went home to be with the Lord, uh, tells a story of doing a series with the men in his church on Saturday mornings. They went through the seven deadly sins. And when he told his wife, Kathy, that that was his plan, she said, I bet you have the lowest attendance for the session on greed. And she was right. Because we don't tend to connect with that and how dangerous that is in our lives. And so the disciples, when they hear this, they're amazed and exceedingly astonished. Why? Well, because rich people are surely rich because God's blessing is in their lives, right? And don't rich people have it all? Can't rich people always get the best vacations and the best medical care and the best lawyers and the best schools? And Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. For this rich guy, his barrier to entry was his idol of wealth. He needed those possessions for security, to be somebody, to be confident for the future. And what's wrong with any of that? Well, what's wrong with that is that wealth can't actually deliver any of those things. Only God can. But this man loved his money more than he loved God. And so he broke the first commandment. And you know he's not alone in breaking the commandment. Everyone has their system. Whether they believe the Ten Commandments or some other system of rules for how to live. Everyone has their system. What's your system? What's your standard for right and wrong, good and bad? Now, whatever it is, I bet you don't keep it perfectly. I bet you don't. In fact, it's impossible to keep God's standard, let alone ours, perfectly. Jesus 
says, why do you call me good? One there is who is good because he's trying to reorient this rich guy's understanding of goodness, that no one can ever be good enough to qualify for entry into Jesus's kingdom. Hear that. How good is good enough to enter the kingdom? You will never be good enough to enter the kingdom because the only way in is through childlike faith in the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus kept the commands personally. He did perfect obedience. We actually are saved by works, not ours, his. He offers the reward of his obedience to all who will come and follow him. Do you know every other religion in the world is based on the hope of getting the reward by being good or being better a little bit than your bad parts, right? Bad works. Or by getting progressively better in this life or life after life after life. And Christianity is completely different than that. Jesus says that method of entry into his kingdom is impossible. He says the only way in is by grace, by simple trust in the goodness and success and faultless life and sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this rich man is set up as a foil to these little children. He's the negative example of someone who failed to enter the kingdom. Imagine standing in front of Jesus, asking how to have eternal life, hearing the answer, and then saying, nope, and walking away. That's what he did. The passage closes with the rewards of entering God's kingdom. Verse 28, Peter, and Peter's featured prominently in this gospel probably because Mark is getting his information to write this gospel from his relationship with Peter. Peter began to say, see, we've left everything and followed you. Now, what happens after this is actually kind of cool because the disciples, if you read through the gospel of Mark, they don't get much right, do they? They're pretty much usually kind of on the wrong side of things. And finally, the disciples are actually a positive example here. And Jesus says, look, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father, children or lands for my sake or for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now, hear that, now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, so this isn't a prosperity gospel, where if you come follow Jesus, you'll be healthy and wealthy and nothing will ever go wrong with you, no. But there will be blessing now with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. So there's a now and a not yet to this. And the idea here is, Jesus is saying, look, I know you left everything to follow me. And now you're receiving Houses and lands and brothers and sisters. And what's he talking about here? Well, the idea is this. When you enter the kingdom of God, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, 
When you become one of his disciples, you have to let go of everything that you've held on to so tightly. You have to let go of everything you have, everything you are, everything you hope to be, everything you're in control of, everything you desire. You put all these things back in God's hands because he's the king. That's where they belong. And now you become the owner and the, not the owner, the, the manager. He's the owner. You become the manager and the steward. And when you do that and Christ becomes your treasure, you come into a new family, a new community. You know what that's called? That's called church. That's what you come into in his kingdom. And there you find new relationships. And there you find people who care for one another to the degree that people begin to treat one another like family and help make sure that all the needs get met. So people might need jobs or might need a new car or might need a place to stay. And, and other people help out to make sure those things happen. And all those things go on in Jesus's kingdom. And they're continually going on in churches around the world, including this one. And when you put your possessions and your career and your future in God's hands, sometimes he calls you to literally leave and go somewhere else for his sake and the sake of the gospel because God greatly desires every human being to hear the good news about the kingdom of God and learn how to enter it. And so we so appreciate and pray for people like Kim and David and Seda and Emma and so many others who have left this place to go out bringing the good news of the gospel with them. Well, let's try to tie this all together. I told you at the beginning, God greatly desires every person Every person, every person in this room, every person watching online, every person you're going to bump into this week, every person breathing on the planet today, God greatly desires every person to know how to enter his kingdom. Three questions. One, how? How does it happen? How can you enter God's kingdom? Again, if God were to ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say? And for so many, the answers are things like this. Well, you should let me in because I'm a pretty good person. Because I've never killed anyone. Because I go to church and read my Bible. Because I try to help other people out. Because I'm not as bad as those people over there. And those are all the wrong answers. And none of those answers will get you into God's kingdom. In our Christianity Explored class, Kenneth leads... It's a class for people that want to know more about how to become followers of Jesus. We'll start it up again in the fall if you're interested. There's a, there's a cute little scene in, in one of the videos that they do of a, of a Christmas morning. And mom and dad are standing there and they've got this present prepared for their daughter. And she unwraps it and it's this beautiful new bike. And, and when she's done unwrapping it, she's got this sad expression on her face. And she turns to her parents and she says... Okay, how much do I owe you? She doesn't get it. It's a gift. Receive the gift from someone who loves you. 
Why should I let you into my kingdom? Any answer that starts with, because I do this, won't get you in. How about starting with this? Because I'm a sinner, but you loved me so much that you sent Christ to keep the commands perfectly, credit me with his good works, and take the penalty for my sins, I receive this gift from you, the God who loves me. That's childlike faith, and that's the only way into his kingdom. Receiving the good gift of God's gracious offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. How can you enter? With childlike faith, receiving the gift that he offers through Christ. The second question is this. Have you entered? Have you entered? Where are you in this story? Are you making the same mistake of this rich guy? Thinking you can bring God your good works, your success stories? You know what he wants from you? Bring him your guilt. Bring him your shame. Bring him your sins. That's what he's asking for. What would you rather have than eternal life? What treasure is more valuable to you than Jesus Christ? I want to urge you, think about these things. Pray about these things. And when you're ready, follow Jesus' command to repent and believe, to come to him with childlike faith, Reject being the king of your own life and receive the good gift of coming under his loving and powerful rule. Hear this promise from God. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's you. That promise reaches you today. Finally, this. Can you explain to someone else how to enter God's kingdom? This passage is in the Bible because Jesus wants to equip disciples like us to tell others about his kingdom. Can you do that? Are you in a place to do that? If someone asked you, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can you give a two-minute answer that's faithful and sound and biblical? If you don't know how to do that, I want to commend you this little booklet, Two Ways to Live. There's a big stack of them sitting right there, and I think there's more in the bookstore. Learn the gospel. This has even got pictures in it. It's awesome. Simple. Learn the gospel. Parents, I want to ask you, are you teaching this radical message of grace to your children? This is so important because so much of parenting involves behavior and behavior responses that that call for obedience. And so we should be training our children to obedience. But it's easy for our kids to end up with the unintentional message that ultimately what we're after and then ultimately then what Christianity is all about is about obedience. And that's not the gospel. Parents, don't drop the standard low enough so that your kids can get over them by their own obedience. When your kids sin, that is a wonderful opportunity to let them feel the weight of, with man, this is impossible. 
but with Christ, all things are possible. So when your kids sin, don't simply call them to obedience. Point them to a Savior who rescues us. The same Savior who rescues you so that they can have new hearts and a relationship with God that's received by grace and results in hearts that want to obey. Brothers and sisters, as we move into our summer, who might God be bringing into our path to share this good news with? Can we spend our summer looking for those God-given opportunities to sow the good seed of the grace of God through Jesus Christ? God greatly desires every person to know how to enter the kingdom of God. Many who are first will be last and the last first. The way things look right now isn't the way things are going to end up because Jesus has come and he's bringing this upside down kingdom with him.